Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Shana Francesca. She's the founder of Consonate um, LLC that does life design. Uh, I'm really interested to talk to you because you came from a background of interior design and moved into structuring people's entire lives, working with leaders, business owners, um, teams. So welcome to the show, Shana. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, so you usually have to kick off the first segment here of your story. So what got you into this type of work, um, whether it be interior design or moving into more of the life design stuff? Yeah, they're more interwoven than I think is apparent when you first hear. Um, so my background is I grew up in, evangel- in an evangelical Christian cult and in an abusive household. And so I saw very clearly from a very early age how intentional, you know, how intentional leadership was in my life, right? But they were intentionally harmful. Um, And, you know, being put on a pedestal, there being a lack of accountability and the ways in which it harmed my life um, and kept me from being able to uh, discover who I was supposed to be in the world rather than who others wanted me to be or required me to be. And, you know, grew up very much within a punishment system. So when you don't show up the way that you're required to by leadership, you are punished um, and threatened with eternal punishment, right? And so, um, and so, you know, from a very early age, my imagination, you know, I would imagine these worlds in which I could be seen, heard, valued, understood, right? That my personhood was honored, that I was given space to be who I was meant to be um, and to discover what that is. Uh, And so I started, and then I started kind of crafting my own physical reality as best as I could. I would take, you know, back in the day, we would use like physical real calendars. (laughs) And that's why we would, you know, they would have like inspirational quotes and beautiful scenic backgrounds, you know, and I would take those and I would tear them off of the calendar when I was done with them and I would paste them up on the wall and I would write quotes on index cards from books that I was reading or, or quotes that I found on said calendar. And I would put them up on, you know, post-it notes up on the wall or on index cards. And, and I started kind of creating my physical environment. At least, in, you know, one, one wall was kind of used like a vision board, right? What we mm-hmm. now call a vision board. But I also was consistently like cleaning, organizing, rearranging things, especially when really difficult moments would happen. It was like I needed to clarify my physical environment. I needed to create it in a way that represented like that broke away from what used to be and set the stage like a reset the stage for what was possible or for what I wanted to be possible in my life and recrafted that that visual for myself and then fast forward you know a couple of years and um I was like you know what I think I want to be able to to include this in my you know I want to do this for a living I want to craft people's physical realities right and have them be something that supports who they want to be and how they want to show up in the world and the ways in which they want people to be able to gather in the world with them, right? Whether it be a home, an office, or a restaurant, whatever it is. And so I discovered that interior design was a thing and became an interior designer. 
But I very quickly realized that my ideas around interior design were not encapsulated in the way that the world thought about interior design or the way that interior designers were allowed to show up in the world. Um, and fast forward to when I started my own company, you know, I, I was really coming into in, in, into these initial meetings with clients and saying, you know, again, who do you want to be? No, with, without any, if we could take away all reasons, all budgets, I just want to know who you are. I want to know what you want to do in this world. I want to know what lights you on fire, right? How, you know, how, to, how and then how do we craft that? How do I craft a physical environment that does what you need it to do based on the budget that we do have, right? Um, to work with and and facilitated that as best as we can. Um, and then, you know, my clients, I work with, you know, business owners, other coaches, um, uh, you know, um, speakers and judges and lawyers and all these incredible people, heads of medical departments, right? At very prestigious institutions. And and one of them was like, you know, I tell everyone my interior designer and my life coach. And I was like, you do? Um, but the word coach is so used right that i think it's kind of lost value in some way um and so i don't really love i don't really use that word (laughs) Um, i call myself a life designer but my work has now kind of morphed and continued to move because you know leaders are coming to me different people are coming to me asking me about internal things that they were struggling with inside of their teams as a leader as an entrepreneur as a business owner and my work started kind of the the recognition started to be there in my own mind that who we are as an individual is how we show up as a leader, right? right? And I always knew that that was true, right? But I, I hadn't given it language and I hadn't given it space in the world. Um, and once I really started to own that, that that's what we were really talking about, right? Is that, you know, that holistic approach. Um, and people were asking me more and more to do speaking engagements and, and, and so on and so forth. And I was facilitating group through coaching, I worked with a hundred people in two and a half years. And I was like, there's something really important here, right? That people are connecting with and identifying with. And I need to make sure I'm honoring that and giving that proper space. And I'm giving myself permission to step into that, right? And so what led me from being, you know, and just somebody who was doing, who was only giving myself permission to be just an interior designer, to being somebody who um, is a public speaker and whose work focuses on intentional leadership and living, right? Was the connection between interior design, our physical environment, right? And interior design, our internal environment, right? And so they're really not all that different at all. It's really just about being intentional. Yeah. Yeah. I want to dive into that a lot. Can you tell me about that, that intersection? Uh, it might be helpful. I'm curious, like an intervention you could do in an office or a space to help with an emotional issue, right? Can our listeners know yeah. about the connection between external space and internal emotions? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, so there was a study that came out in 2019 in Europe that that demonstrated very clearly that uh, there was three things, three top things that contributed to our emotional, like to our happiness, right? Number one was our mental health. Number two was our home. Number two was our home, right? Number three was our physical health. And the thing about that is that I posture that all three of those things are deeply intertwined, Mm -hmm. that none happens independently of one another. Um, You know, where we are, I I can walk into someone's space and typically tell, you know, what's going on 
up up in their head and their body, how much stress or anxiety. And it and and people think, oh well, then you know, I'll make sure my house is perfectly clean before anybody comes. That's also kind of an indicator that like mm-hmm. there's a lot of stress on you from outside people to make your life appear, yeah. uh, be perfect. Because first of all, there's no such thing as perfect. You know, so so it doesn't matter. People's homes and physical space tells a lot about what's going on in their head, the pressure they're feeling from externally, internally, you know, whether they feel okay inside of their own body, inside of their own life, whether they're giving themselves permission or whether they feel like they have permission to be themselves in the world Mm -hmm. in general, right? But, But I tell people to think about it this way. We spend about two thirds of our life inside of our homes or a home in particular, right? It's the very first thing we see in the morning, right? Our bedroom. It's the very last thing we see before we close our eyes. Again, most likely your bedroom, right? Or wherever you sleep. The reality is that that image, right? What we open our, that's important. That's an important first and last image. That space needs to feel safe. We need to feel whole. We need to feel represented and seen and heard and understood in that space. We need to give ourselves permission to be entirely ourselves in that space, right? And oftentimes we don't because we are, we are, we feel all this outside pressure to um, show up in ways that are Instagrammable or like in the ways that other people are showing up, you know, so on and so forth. There's all of these layers of messages we've been given that we feel like we are required to align ourselves with. Otherwise we won't be accepted, loved, or, you know, cared for. Um, and so I think it's deeply important for us to be able to release those messages and feel safe to do so and build community around ourselves, healthy and, and so on and so forth so that we can do that. Um, but yeah, there's there's a there's a deep connection between, you know, pra- like practicing, right? And I say our home is a great practice space for how we want to be able to show up in the rest of the world. If we give ourselves permission to to make our home whatever we want it to be, it starts to give us the courage to be able to do that outside of our home, right? But if we can't even feel safe to do it inside of our home, it's not likely we're doing it anywhere else, right? Yeah, I like what you're saying of, of giving permission to be what you want it to be, right? Because when I think of maybe traditional interior design, you let me know, you know, you're more educated than I am. It's about making a look, right? Like having being mid-century modern or industrial or farmhouse or whatever, right? It's like forcing it into a look, which is yeah. what I'm hearing you say, which is it's unique to the individual. And yeah. it's really about feelings of safety, feelings yeah. of organization, feelings of flow, right? That's yeah. Customized. Yeah. Yeah. It's customized. That's the thing. I, if you look at my interior design work, which is also on my website, not a single, not a single home, a single restaurant, single office, none of it, none of it looks even close to the same. Each one is uniquely tailored to that specific client. And since those specific clients, whether it's an individual, a couple, a family, uh, you know, a group of people living in the same space, whatever it is, right? Like an apartment building or whatever it is, right? It has to be, I pick, I pick up on different things about who someone is and, and all the individuals that show up in that home. Each person needs to be represented. Each person needs to feel seen, heard, and understood, right? It's very unique. And so as unique as each one of us is, right, as human beings, is as unique as your space and, and could be, right, just for you. Yeah. And like I said, it's, it's reflective of a sense of self, of yes. knowing, because I imagine this is... I imagine what you ran into, right? Is that people have to know who they are before they can even have a conversation with you. 
Correct, which is right. where my work around intentional living and leadership came from, yeah. is that we had to start with this conversation of who are you? And oftentimes, number one, people aren't really asked that question mm-hmm. in a way where the person really means it. And I don't mean that people are being disingenuous. I just mean like we we are used to asking each other, like, how is how are you? And just being like, fine, I'm great. I would you know what I mean? We don't we don't take that pause. We're not used to that pause happening in us being able to genuinely answer the question. And I love asking the question and just being silent and letting somebody, whatever comes up for that person, sometimes they can feel like a little bit like <laughs> exposed. And I'm like, it's okay. Yeah. Just say you feel terrible. Yeah. 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 But like to be heard and to be seen is a very vulnerable moment, right? So we'll take as much time as we need to move through that. But that's the thing. That's where this work came from is me asking that question and recognizing that so many times people wanted a little bit of help and assistance and, and to be empowered in answering that question to start, right? <laughs> um, because there were so many layers of, of expectations they've been living with for so long. And I'm like, no, can I have that one? Can mm-hmm. we just... Can we just throw, can we, oh, this one too. Are you ready to let go of that? Can I have that one too? Can we just throw it away? <laughs> just let it go. Yeah. So say more about that, right? How do you help redesign people's interior world? Right. I mean, I think it's, it's a matter of asking people questions, right? Like people get there on their own. I don't really have to do that much because oftentimes we don't even know the questions to ask ourselves. We don't even know where to go to begin. Right. And some, oftentimes people make it seem so mysterious, like our purpose and our, you know, all of these things, it feels like this mysterious, it's not mysterious. It really isn't. Right. And so really my work is just to come in and say, who are you? Who do you want to be? And then sometimes people need a little help. Right. And so that thing is that I become that mirror for them. And I say, you know, if you don't know, answer the question, I'll tell you what I see so far. I'll tell you how I've experienced in these, however long we've talked or gotten to know each other, right? This is what I see. And oftentimes you start to see these light bulbs of recognition because there's so much about ourselves that we don't know until other people hold up the mirror for us and remind us of how amazing we are, right? And I just take that moment to be and say, you're incredible. This is what I see. This is how I understand you. And it's so empowering just to have someone validate who you are and how you want to show up in the world and give you the space to say, yeah, I think that is who I am. Or to say, you know what, actually, that's not who I am. Let me clarify. This is this is who I think I am, right? And to that, have that interaction, to have someone genuinely invested in, in navigating that conversation with you, that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to tell you who are, just to help you figure out what you don't know. Yeah. And provide that mirror, which is an incredible thing. And so rare, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist. I, I do group therapy and that's a big part of the work that I do yeah. is helping people see each other and try to be honest, right. Yeah. Of like good, bad, ugly, right. Like what do you right. see in this other person? Right. Yeah, exactly. Because because, we, we don't get that. We don't get that right, feedback and, and, ever. Yeah. And also it's a matter of like, so often we're taught to label parts of ourselves as mm-hmm. good, bad, and ugly. Right. And what if there's no such thing? What if the world just expects us to show up in a specific way? And when we don't adhere to that, they label it as bad. Mm -hmm. And what if we just are who we are? And what if we were able to accept that? And then when we can accept that, we can recognize the places in our life in which we are harmful to others. Mm -hmm. And by accepting all of ourselves, we can extend ourselves and others grace to simply say, you know what, I'm going to educate myself in that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to do better. 
I'm going to, I'm going to learn what I don't know. I'm going to understand. I'm going to listen to other people's lived experience and their stories. I'm going to listen to this person and believe how they felt in that moment or how I made them feel. And I'm just going to do better next time. Right. Like that's such an empowering place to be. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the magic, right? Is the more that we can yeah. extend our awareness and our acceptance, the yeah. more we can be aware and accepting of other people. Exactly. Right? And just like drop this whole perfectionist, good girl, good guy thing, right? That I think a lot of people right. fall into. Exactly, exactly. And it's not that we just fall into it. We're pushed. Yeah, you were oppressed into it, right? Like we're, <laughs> we're conditioned. Into yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's it's just conditioning, right? It's conditioning. It's the conversations we have. It's how people have conversations. It's the little shoves, the little pushes, the little taps, the the, the corrections, the you know, it's like a little, it's like a sheepdog. We're kind of herded with just nips at our ankles to be like, no, no, I want you to go this way instead. You know, it's, um, it's so subtle and so normalized, right. To kind of shove ourselves into other people's expectations. And, and that's the thing is, is I'm just asking, I'm just empowering people to, um, to ask other people questions, right. To like ask themselves and to put the question forward of why do I have to yeah. Right. Yeah. You so know? we're going to move to our commercial break soon, but it's just a quick question because I imagine you had a lot of that messaging growing up in a cult. Uh-huh. Right? So yes. I'm wondering, were there some ideas about yourself, about the, the world that you had to deprogram and open up to different possibilities? Yes. That's the very shortest answer to right. that question. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I had to show up as pretty, how other people defined it. I had to show up as chaste meaning mm-hmm. pure, meaning, you know, sexually un- inexperienced with no knowledge or understanding of my own body or my own pleasure, mm-hmm. my body and my mind and everything existed for the pleasure of others, specific men. And I existed for God's use and only God's use and anything else. And, and God was dictated by the men in my life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there was, a, there was a, yes, which is why I say it led, it was, it was, it's absolutely natural that I ended up where I am now doing what I do. Because I understand the, the deeply understand the harm caused by intentionally harmful relationship, unaccountable. Yeah, that's a great topic. We'll move to a commercial break. When we get back, I want to talk more about that, right? Because I think you and tons of other women are trained to be empty, right? To have no preference, to just right. be supportive, to just be caring, uh-huh. just be open, be vessels, We're be vessels, right? And not have preferences or even personality to some cases. Um, Correct. So yeah. we'll, that's a yeah. big topic. So we'll dive into that when yeah. we get back. Um, yeah. This interview and you're listening, uh, hang on in there through the commercials and we'll see you on the other side. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. 
These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot, teachable.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. I'm sitting here with Shana Francesca, and we're talking about life design. Um, and where we left you before the commercial was talking about kind of the the oppression of women, right? And, and you went through a version of that, of being taught to be an empty vessel, to yeah. please men, to not really have your own thoughts and opinions. And I mean, it's, first, it's horrible to hear, and I know it's horribly common. Uh, yeah. So I'm curious if you have yeah more detail on that and also how you helped to deprogram that, how you moved past that and work through that? Yeah. So to answer the first part of your question, um, you know, I always felt myself knowing that what I was being told, you know, who I was being required to be, it was always felt suppressive. Like there was always this need to shove who I wanted to be who I wished I, who, who I knew myself to be, right. There was this constant suppression of like, no, that's bad. That's wrong. Right. That being yourself, because that's what you're told being yourself is bad and wrong. Right. Because you are only allowed to show up as men require, as God requires, which is dictated by men. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Um, and, and so there was a, there was this deep, river of anger inside of me, this deep desperation to be seen, to be heard, to be understood. I, I literally, it felt like dying all the time. And that's not a metaphor. That's reality, right? When you are consistently required to show up as other people require you to, it is a kind of death. And, you know, it got to a place where it was really, really bad. And I just want to take a pause and let anybody know like trigger warning for anybody listening or I'm about to talk about sexual assault and abuse. And so I just want to make sure that if that's something that's triggering for you, that you just take this moment and maybe mute it for just, just a, a minute or two. Um, I was the first time I was sexually assaulted or raped. I was three and a half uh, by my babysitter's son. So when your parents are unhealthy people, they're typically not surrounding themselves with healthy people. They're typically also surrounded by unhealthy people. Um, and so my, my babysitter's son's father was an alcoholic and abusive. And so, uh, and we also know that rape has nothing to do with sex. It has everything to do with control of women's bodies and with rage. And so, you know, that was his way of, of working through his rage was on my body. 
Um, and so very early on, I was taught that my body um, is dangerous. My body's dangerous and it can be used as a weapon against me. And then um, I accused my father of, of sexually assaulting me at five. However, I have no recollection of it. Um, it was investigated, but I was told by my parents if I didn't tell the you know social or you know social those social workers you know that I was okay that I, that I was going to get taken away and so I don't you know, I don't there's a lot to, yeah. <laughs> that I don't remember that mm-hmm. could have been blocked out I have no idea what the reality of that situation actually was um, but I do know that from about that time until I was 15 I was groomed by my father and at the age of 12 I was forced to, to take a chastity pledge in front of my 2,000 person church. Even though I wanted to do it privately, because technically, according to, you know, the religion I grew up in, you know, I wasn't a virgin, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I had been raped. Yeah. And so it was it was a deeply triggering thing for me mm-hmm. to say in front of a whole group of people that I'm a virgin. and I'm going to stay that way until I'm married. It felt very, I was very conflicted about the whole thing. It felt very confusing. Uh, and then at 15, my father sexually assaulted me. Ugh. So the forcing me to take the chastity pledge was in fact a means, another means of control of my father being able to declare ownership of my body, right? And so when I say that these ideas that are pushed forward through the religion I grew up in are very, can be very, very dangerous and can be very easily weaponized, I'm in no way, that's in no way metaphor. (laughs) That's my actual lived experience. Um, And at that moment, it was a horrifying thing and it fractured my reality in so many ways. And at the same time, I think it's the thing that saved me because it allowed me to recognize that I, I wasn't safe with the people around me and I did not have to pretend that I was, and I did not have to do what they said. And so there was, there was this, break that happened and I became a fire breathing dragon like everything that I had been suppressing just came ripping out of me and just burned everything that I was Mm -hmm. everything that I was required to be I started burning it to the ground and what what I was taught to call rebellion right came out of me right but it's not rebellion because no one has authority over you you don't give them Right. And so I just simply don't recognize that authority. <laughs> right. There's so, nothing to rebel not, against if there's no nothing, controller. Right. Correct. There's no, there's nothing to rebel against because I do not recognize that authority. And yeah. so I go back and give myself permission to be everything that it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just began using my voice and it's, and it's interesting because I think most girls go through this about the same age where they're trying to use their mm-hmm. voice and they're denied access to doing so and their voice is stolen from them. Um, but going through all of that, you know, I didn't actually officially leave the, the evangelical Christian church until like five years ago, but I left the cult that I grew up in at 26, 25, 25, 26, doesn't matter about that time, right? Right around the time that my frontal lobe finished for me, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, something, the math isn't mathing and I'm going to give myself permission to recognize the math isn't mathing. Mm-hmm. And so I started going to a different church, a different evangelical church, and I started seeing the same pattern of behavior. 
showing up as the church grew and this it turning into a business and it becoming something that wasn't servicing the people that was simply servicing the ego of the leaders and the pockets of the leaders financially without any accountability around that money, without any accountability around their leadership, any of that, right? And any real accountability. And, and so I left that church and went to a different one. And then I saw the same thing happening in that pattern. And I was like, wait a second, <laughs> maybe the problem isn't, maybe the problem isn't this specific church, maybe the problem is this religion, right? The and power then, structures. Yeah. Correct, correct. The power structures, the, yeah. the lack of accountability, yeah. so on and so forth, the manipulation, all of it. Um, and I didn't expect to deconstruct all the way to the point of no longer believing in Sky Daddies, but that's where it went for me. Um, <laughs> people <laughs> Somebody said that once and I was like, that's a perfect way to describe it. <laughs> There's sky daddies for me. Um, and so I just got to the place where I just, you know, finally was able to kind of break away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but all along that process over the last 10 years, um, since about 31, yeah, so like eight years, um, I I started looking at, well, this is how harmful this type of, you know, like leadership was. I want to be able to show up in the world and empower others to show up in a way that is intentional and intentionally good. Right. And so how do we practice being like a good person? And so that began my whole deconstruction reconstruction journey, right. Of like, who do I want to be in the world and how do I want to show up? And then starting my own business and finding my voice and all of these things. So it was, it's been a, I, it's a long journey and I think I'll be on it for the rest of my life to like answer the second part of your question is, you know, I've done a lot of work, but you can't spend the first 35 years of your life inside of a very restrictive, well, not 35, like 33 years of my life inside of a very um, controlling, restrictive cult religion (laughs) and think like you're going to heal it with a year's worth of therapy. <laughs> yeah. It's just still in there, unfortunately. Right. It stays. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. what happens is like, it just leaks into places. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it, and you just, with new experiences, as you experience new things in the world and new people, and as you grow, right, you find little roots, little places where that kind of th- thought starts to like creep up and you're like, Oh, Oh, oh it's still in there somewhere right and and i think it'll probably be like that for a long time maybe for the rest of my life but but it's the thing that keeps me going in my work right it's the thing that reminds me of why i do what i do and what makes it so important for me to continue doing the work that i do yeah it's a great story really well said yeah you know um I think it dovetails into our next topic here, which is intentional leadership, right? I mean, you yeah. you said that you saw intentional leadership in, in a bad way, right? In a way that was yeah. oppressive and manipulative and yeah. self-serving. Um, yeah. But let's take a t- step back. Can you define intentional leadership for our listeners and then talk about some yeah. examples? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's funny because I was on a podcast probably like six or nine months ago now. And the two hosts, we were sitting and talking. One of them is a finance guy. And he was like, you know, we, we had the conversation around intentional leadership. He's like, I think we could make this into a formula. And I was like, of course, your mind went to a formula. You're a finance guy. But I loved the idea and distilling it down to its essence while not losing the nuance. And so we kind of worked through and we came up with a preliminary, you know, formula, but I've kind of tweaked it since then and continued to work with it. And where it's at right now is 
because I always reserve the right to, as I know more, you know, change and grow and move, right? But where it sits right now is in parentheses is be respectful plus be, or be curious plus be respectful, right? Um, times practicing accountability equals okay. intentional leadership, right? And so let's just go through that. Mm-hmm. So being respectful, right? So curiosity without respect is intrusive, mm-hmm. right? And respect without curiosity is uneducated, right? And so those two things have to work in tandem together, right? Which is why they're in parentheses. We got to follow the rules of math here, right? Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, addition, mm-hmm. subtraction, right? So we're doing what's in the parentheses first. Then we're multiplying at times practice practicing accountability, right? And I say, we're practicing anything we want to be good at, we have to practice, right? So all aspects of it, we need to practice. But I wanted to make sure I emphasized practicing accountability, because it's not like a one and done thing. It's a daily thing, right? And then we have to define what accountability is, right? And so like briefly, it's like, okay, accountability looks like you surrounding yourself with a variety of different people, right? Uh, and, and, And understanding and believing their lived experiences, holding them against your own thoughts, beliefs, and understanding of the world and using them to expand your perspective and then also directly being accountable to a variety of people. So you cannot, as a leader, you cannot surround yourself with people with the same, similar or same lived experience. No one has the same, but you know what I mean. Same socioeconomic status, same education, same educational institution, right? A lot of companies you see hire people from the same same universities they make a significant practice of that and i have an argument against it right (laughs) because it starts to breed a very specific that institution has a very specific culture and what you're going to be educated in is in alignment with that specific culture and without diversity of thought your institution isn't really being held you're not being held accountable inside of that right um and so you know, we, we just go through and we, we, we break down each aspect, but all of that together, right? Be, resp- be curious plus be respectful times practicing accountability is intentional leadership. I love that. That's really great. And I think it's a good message for diversity, right? Of just seeing blind spots, you know, having that, uh, that constant like container of accountability is really critical. And yeah. I think when things become like you said, when they become an echo chamber, that's yeah. when corruption really really spreads oh, really, really fast. And quickly. Right? Yeah. Very, very, very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. And, and I don't, yeah. and I, you know, I no longer label people as bad or good. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do recognize that without accountability, we watch what happens to people psychologically. Mm-hmm. We are yeah. meant to have accountability. We are meant to have people who help us to grow and change and learn and understand the world in different ways. But we don't have that. Mm-hmm. Now, our, our head is not a safe place for anyone not us, not anybody else, Mm -hmm. right? Because our thought processes are way too singular, way too linear, lacking nuance. Yeah. And they're all self-reinforcing, right? Like the ego just wants to maintain its solidity. So say any lie or any trick or any, you know, mental backflip to just maintain sanity. Protect us. Right. And and the thing is we have to get, especially as leader, you you have to get comfortable. We have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. And I always say to people, let's talk about what fear is because oftentimes people are afraid of accountability. They're afraid of being wrong. And that's a cultural thing. We Mm -hmm. teach that to people. Like you have to know everything, which is complete nonsense. But 
But if we instead take fear by the hand and we recognize, I don't mean fear of like genuine fear of like, I'm trying to avoid someone hurting me, right? I'm talking about fear in the sense of our own personal development and our own understanding as a leader. It's really the edge when we, if fear comes up in that context, it's the edge of our understanding or our learning and or the edge of what we, what we thought ourselves capable of. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we understand that when fear comes up in those contexts, we recognize, oh, this is a moment to step into, to choose if this is right for me to step into, to move through this fear and to make friends with fear rather than to um, rather than to sh- to shrink away and and to and to avoid it. Right. And, and once we get comfortable with being uncomfortable, it's a really beautiful thing. We really become someone who is a leader at that point and not someone who's demanding to be an authoritarian, right? Like there's a difference. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I like that you're normalizing the fear piece, right? Because when I work with my leaders in, you know, individual work, right? It, the idea is, like you said, busting this myth that you are supposed to be fearless and never feel it, right? That's crazy. Complete but it's more crazy. like- how do you operate while afraid? Yes. Right? How do you hold the fear, be with yes. it, and still try to make you know rational decisions? Yeah. I'm or decisions afraid all the time. The I'm yeah. afraid of things all the that's time because thing. I'm always right. trying new things. Exactly. Right. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah. But we're taught to be afraid of fear so that we'll align ourselves with cultural mandates and not try to move or push past them and not try to craft our own way mm-hmm. and not try to individualize, right? I mean, that's a whole topic on itself. But. <laughs> no, yeah, but fear keeps people in very narrow lanes, right? Like yeah, some does. of that's intentional, some of that's cultural, some yes. of that's coincidental, but yeah. fear is a huge control mechanism. I hear you. Yeah, and it, yeah, it makes us easier to manipulate the more we fear fear. Right, right. So this is a fantastic conversation. We're going to move to our next commercial break. When we come back, I want to hear more about the work you do with teams specifically and how you help um, businesses and, and leadership teams work through some of these things and create, you know, spaces to inhabit and internal structures and um, just, you know, group dynamics that move towards growth. Um, So for those tuning in, hang on in there. We'll see you on the other side. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, .teachable.com. 
www.thepowerhouse.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. In this final segment, I'd like to throw out some case studies, Jenna, for you to kind of work on and give me some examples of how you've helped people in the field. I mean, what this work can really do for people, you know? Yep. Um, so the, the first one I have is something that I work with uh, startups a lot in Boulder, Colorado, and something I see a lot in the startup work that I do is you have ambitious leaders, right? That come and they're, you know, often younger, maybe millennials, some, some Gen Z now, right. That like have this awesome vision statement and they've done their cultural values and they want like they're all this lofty stuff of how they want their company to run. Right. And I've seen that they've been able to maintain that for maybe a month, maybe two months before <laughs> things that we've talked about in the previous segments, power structures, insecurity, you know, um, I don't know, like egos get involved. And yep. what seems like a great idea on paper starts to really rapidly degrade and decline. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering, yeah, I guess, A, have you seen that? Have you worked with that? Yeah. And then B, how you've, how you've addressed that issue? Yeah, we talk about that a lot in, in group coaching. And the thing I love about group coaching, let me just like break down why it's my favorite thing mm-hmm. first. Let me use this analogy. So uh, for a long time, I was a semi-professional salsa dancer, I've uh, competed and performed. And the reason why I was able to come start, start performing so quickly was in, within six months of taking lessons. Now I'd been dancing my whole life. So that's like context, right. But like never social dancing. Um, and so I started taking group lessons and the thing about group lessons is you've got the teacher in the middle, everybody's in a circle around and you've got partners, right. You've got a lead and you've got to follow. And I was being trained as a follow. And so every dance move, right, the teacher is teaching the lead part and then the follow part, and you're doing it together. You'd practice it together three times. Then you switch partners two more times and you do it three times with each partner. The thing about that is that everybody hears differently and understands and interprets differently, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you're rotating partners, you're getting three different people's perspectives about the same thing. Right. And so you're immediately quicker, like it's much quicker to able to identify where you might not have understood or you've understood differently than someone else. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you're learning together in this environment. You're also getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and fumbling through something and doing it anyway. Right. So there's like so many metaphors in here, guys, like a hundred metaphors, like like applicable to what it is to be a leader and so on and so forth. Right. And then I would go out dancing at night. Right. And I didn't know that much yet. I wasn't very good yet, but I was immediately trying to apply that knowledge. Right. And and it, and, I, and because I had been practicing with multiple partners and I had been getting comfortable with getting it wrong, right, it made it easier to go out at night and continue to get it wrong until I got it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's the thing that I love about group coaching is that you've got a whole bunch of different people different backgrounds, different places. And sometimes I'm doing group coaching inside an organization. And, and, and then I also run my own group coaching myself. So you've entrepreneurs who are like 25 
plus, right? And then you've got like business owners who are in their like 40s, 50s, right? Mm-hmm. And all, this whole gamut, some, sometimes professionals, medical professionals, all kinds of people, right? All different backgrounds. So you're all hearing from different perspectives. And the beautiful thing about that is it creates its own kind of accountability and its own ability to break through echo chambers and its own ability to start teaching us what questions we haven't been asking, mm-hmm. right? And so I really encourage that kind of, you know, whether it be a mastermind group or some some way for entrepreneurs, no matter what age you are, mm-hmm. to create that kind of accountability for yourself in your life is absolutely necessary, right? Because you're probably not going to succeed without some kind of community around you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, Spoiler alert, it's been a lie that's been taught to you that you're going to do it on your own. Right, yeah, <laughs> the, the bootstrap thing is, is a lie. Yeah, It's a lie. Yeah. Please don't fall into that trap. Please, please don't do that to yourself or your mental health because I tried it uh, myself as an entrepreneur and within 10 months, I literally had a nervous breakdown. My body stopped functioning. I couldn't get out of bed for two weeks. So please do not do that mm. to yourself. Um, I would say that, you know, what I see over and over for entrepreneurs, especially, so there's different things depending on what gender you were raised as. Right. So if you happen to be a cisgender man, I think there's a lot of things that are at play for you. Number one, most likely you've not been taught emotional intelligence. You've Mm -hmm. been taught that all of your emotions belong in one bucket and that is anger. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Which is extremely unhealthy. And please go to therapy. (laughs) Right. Because I'm not a therapist. You are, but I'm not. Right. So those are the guys I work with. Yeah. You find if you're pissed all the time, you're. And most men are, most men are, that's the thing, you're repressed all the time, all the time, all the time. time. And I cannot blame you for that. I'm not, I, I don't understand how you wouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm completely empathetic to that. And also you're going to have to take response for that. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to learn that emotional intelligence. And I, why is this applicable? Because who you are as a person is who you are as a leader. So your business will fail if you are not continually growing and learning and understanding. And study after study shows us that diversity, equity, and inclusion, those companies that embrace that are the ones that are thriving. But if you've been raised specifically as a, as a, as a, white man in America, right? Your perspective and how you've been held accountable is very different than how the, everybody else has been held accountable, right? And you're going to have to do that work, right? You're going to have to do the work to to deconstruct patriarchal views, misogynistic views, white supremacist views, you know, un, unconscious bias, conscious bias, right? You're going to have to do the work to see everyone else as, as human as you are because you haven't been taught that. And that is a key aspect of being a leader. And I'm going to tell you that you might think that you are woke and you know, and you treat people fairly, but I guarantee there's things that you don't see because you can't, you can't. And that's where therapy comes in. And, you know, and then also coaching or group coaching, whatever it is, I highly recommend. Again, I always highly recommend group coaching. It's not even what I charge the most for. It's just (laughs) what I like. I I just insist on it. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. It's, I mean, people walk away and they're like, that changed my whole life. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I know it did. And I'm so glad it did. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. Please. It's an amazing tool. Um, but yeah, I see, I see, especially young men entrepreneurs, you know, having, having this, I had this one conversation with one and he was like, yeah, you know, we were talking about his views on marriage and so on and so forth. Cause ultimately it, it comes up, right. Who you, again, who you are as a leader, cause he was having struggles with 
uh, with women in his office and, and, and interaction. I was like, all right, let's dive into some belief systems. And he was like, yeah, you know, I, you know, my future spouse, uh, you know, she'll, she'll just take care of our daughters here. I don't need to learn how to do her hair. And I was like, all right, so let's dive into that. Right. I don't think you realize how applicable what you just said is to who you are as a leader and how you're running your company, but I'm going to help you understand why, right? Let's, let's dive into that. You have assumed that someone you haven't met is going to perform a function that they haven't agreed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no consent in that. You've already decided who they're going to be and they haven't even joined your life yet. Mm-hmm. Right. And not only that, but you're not going to invest any effort in learning any aspect of it. So they will be responsible for it for perpetuity whether they grow and change and no longer have the capacity to do that or not. You've assigned that to them for perpetuity. And in what way is that okay? (laughs) You've been taught that that's okay, but it's not, right? And I think, you know, diving into those kinds of assumptions that we've been taught, oh, that's woman's work, right? Or that's a man's work, right? Because the same is applicable on both sides, right? We have to dive into that. And when we start to question that, I've seen it change the way that the empathy level that starts to be able to show up for leaders. And then all of a sudden, right, it seems like it's all of a sudden. It takes some work, right? And it takes consistent accountability, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I've seen the way all of a sudden it's like light bulbs turn on and they're like, yeah. And then the relationships start to shift inside of their business. And then their business starts to grow because your people start to work with you instead of holding themselves and defending themselves from you, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think most men realize, and maybe you do, I don't know because I'm not a man. I don't know if men, especially men, realize how often women and other people are protecting themselves from you. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't imagine the psychological effect that has on men because at some point you have to recognize it somewhere in your life, right? But to know that you can be in community with people once you humanize them and then you can be in a substantially impactful leader and your business will grow exponentially once you humanize the people around you at the same level you humanize yourself. And the more you humanize yourself, the more you give space to other people to show up as their whole selves and them not to have to protect themselves from you. Oh my God, it changes everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah I, I love what you're saying because I think as men, right, we're trained that, if people are afraid of us, they respect us, right? I think we don't have that level of precision because we don't have the EQ to right. notice the difference, right? Of like, oh, is she afraid of me or does she actually respect me, right? Yeah, most likely she's afraid of you. Most likely, exactly. To start, to start she's absolutely afraid of you and you yeah. have, you're gonna, how you behave is going to determine, is going to determine yeah. whether or not it actually remains fear or it is converted to respect, right? Yeah. And, and it can and feel like them. power, but it's, it's not, it's very, it's not. very fragile. Yeah. Correct. It's yeah. not. Yeah. And the world is changing so that that fragility is becoming much more apparent and even more fragile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and women are gaining their voices, like you said, and they're not, We're not, so you're not complying back. in that, right. We're not. They're not complying and they're able to like either just leave, yeah. right. Or find a better work environment or yeah. push back, which a lot yeah. of men, really struggle with, right? Yeah. They struggle with taking that feedback in a direct way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I had an instance of that just the other day. It was in a, in a, an event where some, a, an attorney was speaking about um, HR uh, law and he was offering his political opinion. And, and I kept raising my hands to add, raise my hand to add nuance to the conversation that he wasn't adding because he was of a specific political view. 
um, and is pro-employer rather than pro-employee. Um, and so I was like, mm, kept raising my hand. And at one point he was just bashing people openly and someone else raised her hand and was like, we're not going to keep doing this. We paid to be here to learn the law, not your political, you know, editorialized opinion. And you need to knock it off. And he was like, you're here to hear what I have to say. And so I'm not going to knock it off. And she was like, correct, correct. And that's the thing is that with therapy and with some coaching, he could have transformed that moment powerfully Mm -hmm. and had our respect in that room, regardless Mm -hmm. of his political opinions. Right. (laughs) He could have said, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop that. And I'm going to do better. Mm-hmm. And that would have been that. Right. But he didn't, he doubled down. So she left, but I stayed and I was like, I agree with her, knock it off. Um, but then he was visibly shaken for the rest of the time. Right. Because he's not used to that level of accountability and he's not used to, but women are stand. women and non-men, right. We're standing and banding together and we are insisting on supporting each other to hold men to a place of accountability that they haven't been held to. And then vice versa, women were holding each other accountable to do the intersectional work that we haven't necessarily done. So like, it's all different kinds of accountability that we're all experiencing in different ways. Um, but when we lean in and do the work, it's, it's very powerful and trust can be built or lost in just a fraction of a second. Yeah, because you get to see people's real face in a way, you know, yeah. um, in those moments of crisis. Yes. Well, fortunately, we have to wrap up here. I mean, I feel like there's another episode um, around this accountability and around kind of fragility and, and ego protection and all that. Yeah. Um, but for right now, if people are interested in learning more about you, Shana, where could people find you online? Yeah, the best way is my is my uh, website. It's www.consonate.world. Dot world is important. I'm sure it'll be tagged in the show notes. Show notes. Mm-hmm. I'm also very active on LinkedIn and on TikTok, so you can find me as Shana Francesca on either. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, for those listeners, go check out Shana's stuff. She's got a lot of really cool things to offer. Um, and we'll see you next yeah, week workshop. another episode. Yeah, thanks. yeah. You got workshops. You got all kinds of stuff coming up. Um, so see you next week another episode of From the Ashes. Take care. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.